Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, (laughs) but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm-hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe... Four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus. All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel. No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, You compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Time out. (laughs) I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, 
It's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize. Heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years. These empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, Allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not my ways. I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah. But you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um, I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. chisel away just just be prepared for what you're going to find in there because I know who's inside there because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see because deep inside there this 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 little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult and I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. 
And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my God. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy... Is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. Who needed to hear that today? But I know that in our first service, some people were overwhelmed because they've been listening to the wrong voices. Uh, Jesus said that Satan is a liar. Jesus said that he will steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's his goal. And if you listen to him, 
that you're going to go down the wrong path. Um, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you, you get just a little glimpse of what it's like for the Heavenly Father to look at us and love us. If you're a parent, you know, you have that baby. They, they, as they grow up, they can do things that you don't like, but you still love them. You still see beyond that. And, and I don't, no matter what my children have done, I don't ever define them by what they've done. I define them by who they are. They're mine. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. If you're worried about your past or if you're stuck in your past, God today wants you to move beyond that because he's worried more about your future than he is about your past. He sent his son to die on the cross. So his message to you is you are his masterpiece. I want you to write this on your guide. I want you to remember some things today. And the first thing I want you to remember is I am God's masterpiece. I want you to say that out loud. I am God's masterpiece. Say that out loud. Say it like he said at the end, like, like God sees you, or if you have children, like you see your children, I want you to say, I am God's masterpiece. Say that. Today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, but I need to show you a few things about this. I want you to see how much God loves you. I want you to see how the depths to which he, he went to rescue you from your plight. See, there, there's this misconception, in, especially in America, that I need to clean myself up before I come to God. You cannot clean yourself up enough to be acceptable in God's eyes. So the way it works is you surrender in the midst of your sin and all of your mess ups, you surrender. God picks you up. God cleans you up. In fact, God was searching for you long before you even knew his name. Look at Romans five, eight. It says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were a sinner, before you ever thought about cleaning yourself up, God sent Jesus on a journey to find you. And then through his Holy Spirit, when you accept him and you're adopted into God's family, he cleans you up and he creates you and he remakes you into this original masterpiece. And as long as we're on this earth, he said, it's a marathon. You're going to be, you're going to be formed into the image of Christ all through your life. God is big enough that he can form you through anything. God works all things together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What he does, the good he does is he conforms you into the image of his son. He makes you look more like Jesus. And quite honestly, it's usually our mess ups that God steps in and miraculously starts changing us to look more like his son. So I want you to remember that today. You're God's masterpiece. And then I want to remind you of the depths to which he went to find you. Um, the night before Jesus was crucified, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And, and I need to just kind of walk you through this whole process before we come to the Lord's table. And you'll understand in just a minute. The Passover was a time of remembering. This whole idea today is remember. They were The Israelites were to remember when they were enslaved in Egypt. God had sent Moses to free them. He'd, he'd done nine different plagues. And none of the plagues caused um, Pharaoh to let the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites go. And so God was going to send one more mighty plague. And he told the Israelites ahead of time what they needed to do. And he said, if you are going to be saved, if your firstborn child is going to be saved, you must accept my substitute. So they were supposed to go out and find the prize lamb of the herd. One-year-old, not a spot, not a blemish. They were supposed to kill that lamb, slit its throat, take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts, on the side posts and on the top post of their door so that when God's death angel came from heaven, he would look up and he would see the blood on the door and say, they have accepted God's offer. 
and he would pass over that house and not kill the firstborn son. That's where he got the term, pass over. And so he would go to the next one, and if there was no blood on the doorpost, the death angel went in and killed the child, including Pharaoh's own firstborn son. Pharaoh was so distraught that he just finally said, said, take the Israelites, go. And they plundered the Egyptians without firing a shot. These slaves for 400 years didn't fire a shot, and the Egyptians were giving them all kinds of gold and all kinds of gifts. Get out of here. Get out of here. Showing God's power. Now, um, during the Old Testament times, it was traditional for the Jewish priest to kill the Passover lamb at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And then they would blow this uh, ram's horn. It's called a shofar. And in Israel, old Israel, old town Israel is, is, has a, they call it the ramparts. There's these brick walls and I don't know, they're 20, 25 feet high. They go all the way around. They're so wide that, that, uh, you could walk around and Janie and I actually walked on them and there were people coming both directions. These wide mat, it looks like a fortress. And so old town Israel is small enough that if someone were to blow the shofar up on the temple mount, everybody in the city would hear it. And when they heard the temple, when they heard the shofar blow, they would remember that an innocent third party, an innocent lamb had to die, had to shed its blood so that they would not die. They would remember. So 3 p.m. they kill the the lamb and then they blow the shofar and, and we're reminded both the daily sacrifice and this Passover sacrifice covered the blood, covered the sins of the people until the next time they had to do that. And in, in the New Testament, in Hebrews 9.22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So this idea goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an innocent animal, took the skin of the animal, covered them up because they finally realized they were naked. They wouldn't have known that if they hadn't sinned. God took an innocent third party, an animal, killed it, covered their sin. And that was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And then all of the Old Testament sacrificial system was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ to come in the New Testament. It was a reminder that blood had to be poured out. Either an innocent third party's blood had to be poured out or your blood had to be poured out. That's the only way you got forgiveness of sins. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize, I don't want my blood poured out. I want somebody else's. So you accept what Jesus did on the cross. And so after this Passover meal, they're celebrating this whole thing. Jesus does something that had never been done before. And, and he does something that was radical and strange to his followers. He, this is in Luke 22, starting in verse 19. He, Jesus, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. It's a simple act. It's, it's symbolic. It's not actually his body. It was symbolic. After supper, he took another cup of wine. He said, This cup is the new covenant. First time it's been done. The new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now rewind about three years before that Jesus was walking out. John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan river. As Jesus comes walking up, John stops everything. And he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John was saying, We've been practicing this Passover lamb for all these years. We have a, we have a sacrificial lamb. This is the guy who is the lamb of God. He's going to take them away, not just cover them temporarily. He will take them forever. Jesus was going to take the place of that lamb. This new covenant starts with the blood. So instead of sacrificing animals, he became the first human sacrifice, innocent human sacrifice to take away the sins of the, the world once and for all so that you and I don't have to die eternally. 
Now, I want you to notice God's timing. I, I tell people all the time, God is a God of details. Look what it says in Luke 23 about Jesus' death. He was already uh, nailed to the cross. He's gone through all of the torture, and, and he's been on the cross for a while. By this time, it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until what time? Three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these, with those words, he breathed his last. At three o'clock, what was sacrificed uh, inside the walls of Jerusalem in the temple? The Passover lamb. At what time? Outside the wall. The cross, he can hear. It's close enough where they believe that he was crucified on the cross is close enough to the ramparts, to the walls that everybody coming into the Jerusalem would have been able to see him. He would have been able to hear the rams, the shofar's horn blow that the the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. And Jesus said, "It's done." At three p.m., the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world died. Now back to the Lord's Supper that night. The Passover meal. Jesus is saying, we're starting a new tradition, a new covenant with my death. And he told his followers to eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. And I bet his followers thought, how could we not remember Jesus? All right, this guy, we believe he was miraculously born of a virgin. We, we, we have seen him heal blind people just by speaking or touching. We've seen, we've seen him touch a leper and the leprosy is gone. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him raise people from the dead more than once. How could we ever forget him? But Jesus knew his followers better than he knows they knew themselves. And he knows you and me better than we know ourselves. And he knows we have this tendency in life to get busy, to choose the wrong path, to walk away from him. We get way over here. Not only do we not see God on a regular basis, we don't even hear his voice, even if he's speaking to us. And we're way over there. We tend to forget things that are important. And Jesus says, remember me. Because when you're way off on the wrong path, when you forget what it cost God to buy your salvation... You become a plastic, cosmetic Christian who goes through the, the motions of worship. And you come in here and you play a game and you don't spend any time with God. You walk away and you're not changed. If worship, by the way, if you don't get anything out of worship, that's on you. Because worship is not for you. Worship is for God. You come in here and you respond to who God is and what he did for you. And you remember him and he will change you. Now, in a couple of moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, but I need to remind you of some things. I want you to remember that that you're God's masterpiece. But I want to show you how far he went to, to purchase you. Second thing I want you to remember is when we come to the Lord's table, you have to remember Jesus' death. Some of you say, well, well, what's the deal? Okay, let me explain. Jesus, when he stood up in this meal, he called, he, he broke the bread. And you need to understand that he had called himself the bread of life. Do you know where Jesus was born? He was born in Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem literally means? House of bread. So the God who created the universe knew that Jesus, the bread of life, would be born from the house of bread. That just amazes me that God is such a God of details. And and we talked the the first Corinthians, the church at Corinth, they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And, And Paul said, don't you do that. Don't you come to this table lightly. And I'm going to tell you how to do it correctly. But he says, some of you are sick. Some of you have died because you have taken the Lord's supper in an unworthy matter with a sorry attitude. So we got to remember his death when we come to this table. Look what it says in, in first Corinthians. When we ask the Lord's blessing upon our drinking from the cup of wine at the Lord's table, this means, doesn't it, that all who drink it are sharing together the blessing of Christ's blood. 
And when we break off the pieces of bread from the loaf to eat together, this shows that we are sharing together in the benefits of his body. This, this idea, this word sharing together is where we get the idea of communion. It means to commune with, to share with, to fellowship with Jesus and with other believers. That's what we're doing when we take the Lord's Supper. The bread is the body of Jesus broken on the cross symbolically. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that, that takes away our sins. And we have a lot of sins. Just in this room, we can spend a lot of time just listing our sins. There's a lot. And see, what, what you need to understand is when you go to the doctor and there's something wrong with you and they don't know what's wrong with you, they very often will take blood and they'll examine the blood because there's life in the blood, there's disease in the blood, and they need to figure out what's going on. In the same sense, there is life, eternal life in the blood of Jesus. Some people have said that Christians are, are um, preoccupied with the blood. Yes, because life, eternal life, comes only through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross and applied to my sins. So when we come to the table, we're supposed to remember Jesus' death. We're supposed to remember that his blood cleanses us from sin. We're supposed to remember about forgiveness, all of these things. We're, we reflect on those things. Now, when when I pr- proposed to Janie 25 years ago, um, I opened up that little box and, and I said, will you marry me? She said, yes. She wasn't just saying yes to the ring. She was saying, yes, I accept your offer of your life. And I give you my life in return. When you take the cup, this is literally what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to you, here is this cup. When you drink this cup, you're accepting his life. But you have to give yours in return. It's not enough just to accept what he did. It costs you your life in order to be saved. Jesus is saying, I love you. I invite you to be my spiritual bride. And every time we drink the cup, we're saying, I accept your life, God, and I give you my life in return. So the Lord's Supper, you remember, you're a masterpiece. You remember that that Jesus died looking for you. And then you remember what it costs you. The third thing, God wants my life. Remember, he wants your life. I want to read to you, um, this is the today's English version, Romans 12, 1. It says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. It's no um, coincidence that the words offer begin and end this sentence. True worship costs you something. True worship is really a response to God's offer in the first place. Yes, God, I what you have offered me and I give you my life in return. It's why we come week after week after week because we tend to forget and we get up on Monday morning and we don't remember what we learned on Sunday. By the time we get to Saturday, we're, we're kind of uh, worn out and we're not, we're not really looking like Jesus by Saturday. A lot of times are we? Because we forget. So every Sunday morning, the reason we do it on Sunday and not on the Sabbath is because Jesus rose again on Sunday. And the disciples, his, his followers began celebrating the fact that the tomb was empty. So that's why we have church on Sunday. Every Sunday we come, we remember. And then when we do the Lord's Supper, we remember. He doesn't tell us how often to do the Lord's Supper. He just says, as often as you do it, remember. And this guy, idea goes back, this idea of worship, offering yourself, goes back to the cup. God offers you the cup. You respond, God, I accept your life and I give you mine. And God is not this, this bully who's, who's trying to force you to submit. He's chasing you and he's waiting until you get to the point that you are willing to submit to him. Because see, the irony is a lot of people think that drinking this cup, accepting Christ, leads to slavery. The irony is drinking this cup, accepting Christ's blood, is the only way to really be free. 
So before you come today, I want you to take a spiritual inventory. Are you, where are you spiritually? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were last week? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were a year ago or six years ago or 10 years ago? Um, are you growing as a, as a follower of Christ? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Cause the Bible says, don't come to the table. If there's unconfessed sin, I'm going to give you a chance to confess your sin, not to me, but to God. You may be angry with a family member, a coworker with your boss. There may be bitterness in your heart. Did you know that there's actually one time that the Bible says it's okay to leave in the middle of worship? Bible says if you're at the altar and you are offering your gift to God and there you remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, leave church, go make things right and come back to the altar and then offer your gift. So some of you today are not going to take the Lord's Supper because you know you're in a conflict, you are openly in a conflict and you need to go make that right before you come to the Lord's Supper table. Now, the other side of that is if you've gone to them and you've made a genuine effort to reconcile, then you can take the now, it's not like our kids do. Sorry. No. I'm sorry if you were offended. That sounds like you're an idiot. That's what that sounds like. That's not a genuine effort to reconcile. But if you've gone to someone and you've poured out your heart and they reject you, that's on them. You come to the table today. Now, I want you to remember one last thing. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to remember Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. Um, we keep taking the Lord's Supper until he returns. We actually proclaim the Lord's death by taking these elements. And we do it until he comes again. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. The Lord's Supper is not some little ritual we stick on at the end of the service hour every now and then. Um, it's, it's very serious. And the whole key of whether you should take the Lord's Supper today is the condition of your heart. If your heart's right before God, then you come. If there's unconfessed sin, you confess sin, and then you come. If there's a relationship that God pricks your heart and says, you need to go work on that relationship first, you leave. Don't even wait till the end of the service today. You leave and go make things right, and you come back sometime. Come back tonight. I'll have bread and juice here tonight. Five o'clock, and you come back and worship God through the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you're not supposed to take the Lord's Supper. And, and that's okay. We give you permission to sit there, or if you want to leave quietly, that's okay. But there's some Christians today who should not take the Lord's Supper because your heart's not right. You need to get it right before you come. So I'm going to play some music, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. You're supposed to confess your sin. If you're not in right relationship, you're supposed to go. There may be somebody in this room you need to go to. And ask forgiveness and hug them and then come to the Lord. Whatever you need to do, you, you take your time. When you're finished with that, you come to the Lord's Supper. Take the bread, take the cup, remember. Go back and sit down and, and, and after a few minutes, I'll dismiss us. Go ahead, Travis. We're going to play some music and let you examine your hearts before God.
So we're going to keep this going. Some people are still praying, and um, we're not going to make our sound noises, our silly noises for the different baskets. But we have a joy basket at the back. You can give there. You can give online, nlccp.com. Um, if you uh, would take your registration cards, fill that out. If there's some lie that you've been believing that you will share with me, I'm going to pray that God will deliver you from that. You just write that lie that you've been believing on the back. Um, and, and I'm going to pray that you begin to see yourself the way Jesus Christ sees you the way God sees you, not for your past, but for what you can become. Uh, put those cards back there. If you have prayer concerns, put those on there. Um, and if, uh, and then we have a third basket, which is our bagel basket. We're getting closer and closer, uh, to getting our, our covered drop off out here. We're excited about that. Um, but we just want you to know how much we value you, um, being here and, and we just always want to have clear teaching about things. We want you to understand why we do the Lord's Supper, why we do baptism, why we do different things. Because we want to be a people who are under the authority of God through the power of His Word. Um, His Word is our authority. No, no denomination, even though we're attached to the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention, they don't tell us what to believe. We follow Scripture and we want to teach you um, about that. And, and we believe that as you feed off of the Scripture, God's going to grow you up spiritually. You're going to become more and more like Christ. And, and you're going you're gonna to mature spiritually to the point that not only can you not sit there in your chair, you've got to be serving, but you also can't keep quiet about this one who gave his life for you.